You're listening to Identity Theft by Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Downey, and sponsored by the award-winning Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged to get the first three-book bundle in the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series today. And now, enjoy today's episode of Unabridged, the Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 2 It took half an hour for Lacey to clear the dishes off the table. If she were younger, she would have been surprised she wasn't crying. But she had learned four years ago tears were a luxury that rarely came in the midst of a crisis. They tarried, refusing to let you lose yourself in the bittersweet rush of grief, forcing you to walk through the fire with your dry eyes wide open. Her foster parents would tell her to forgive. She could almost hear Sandy's voice in her mind. You can hold on to anger, or you can let it go, and let God make the best of your situation. It was a simple premise, really, and it probably worked for good Christian folks like the Lindgrens, folks who took in foster kids and raised them up and helped them graduate high school and saw them through community college. But Sandy would never live through what Lacey had. It wasn't fair. She couldn't think of Carl and Sandy, or grief and homesickness would charge at her like an angry moose knocking her breath out, a tsunami wave far too strong to withstand. Besides, what was the point of dwelling on the Lindgrens? It wasn't as though she would ever see them again. She hosed herself down with mosquito spray and threw on her shoes. It was almost nine o'clock, but that didn't matter. It never grew fully dark this time of year. She stepped outside, where it was as bright as it had been at noon when she stood out and watched the preschoolers climbing on the daycare jungle gym. At the beginning of summer, she and her co-worker Kim had complained until their boss finally broke down and purchased a propane-operated mosquito trapper. The gizmo was awkward to lug around and cost the daycare $500 plus gas, but it kept the bugs manageable. Madeline had helped Lacey count the bites on her arm earlier that afternoon. Only seventeen. If ever there was a night for ice cream, this was it. Puck's grocery store was only a five-minute walk away. Lacey hardly drove anywhere in the summer except for her monthly four-hour trip to Costco in Anchorage. Lately, she had been tagging along with Curtis, who was used to driving long distances since he was one of five troopers covering an area the size of Ohio. Curtis, Lacey sighed. She hadn't meant to hurt him. She knew it had been a mistake to go on that first date, but it had been winter. She had been lonely and bored, and if any man could manage to get Lacey to stop aching for Raphael, it was him. Now she realized she had expected the impossible. What else could she do but cut him loose? He was still young, good-looking, rustic enough to appeal to tough Alaska girls, civilized enough to speak to their romantic whimsies, and Madeline. Over the past few days, as Lacey had been preparing tonight's dinner, she had wondered who she would miss more, Curtis or his daughter, who smothered her with kisses, and asked Lacey almost every day to become her new mommy. 
Lacey hurried through Puck's parking lot, eager to get inside and away from the bugs, eager for her ice cream. She stopped short when she saw Curtis through the window. He was pushing Madeline in a cart. She didn't study his expression, didn't try to guess how well he was handling tonight's news. She scurried around the corner without going into the store. One good thing about summer in Glen Allen was all the small shops stayed open to cater to the numerous tourists who drove through. She would grab herself an ice cream at the Brain Freeze. She deserved that much, at least. She just hoped she'd make it there before Curtis came out of the store and spotted her. She sprinted across the street. She hated running away like that. Of course, there was no way she could avoid him indefinitely. Glen Allen was just too small a town. She was still an East Coast girl at heart, really, fond of the fast pace, the crowded streets, the bright lights, the dazzling skylines. But that life was closed to her now. She had lost track of how many times she and Raphael had daydreamed about their future. She was finishing up a few classes for her associates and wanted to pursue an undergrad degree in theater. He would set up an art studio in Boston or Cambridge. New York was always their end goal. But for now, she wanted to stay near Carl and Sandy, the closest thing she had to family after a childhood spent in and out of foster care. Raphael often told her how proud he was of her, how she had risen above all the negativity in her past to forge a better future for herself. She loved the way he talked to her the way he encouraged her. She would have never made it to where she was if it weren't for him. Not that it mattered now, anyway. She couldn't even transfer her credits from the community college. Two years of grueling work had been a total waste. No use dwelling on the past, Sandy would tell her. Simple adages, like don't cry over spilt milk, that did nothing to address the horror the loneliness Lacey had lived through. Why was she thinking about Sandy so much lately? If she could just pick up the phone, talk to her, tell her about Curtis. But that was impossible, too. She stepped into the brain freeze and glanced around, thankful she didn't see any of the daycare families. She was tired. All she wanted was to forget Go back in time, never get in the car with Raphael that night. She ordered a small Sunday. It would be about half the size of what she could buy in Anchorage and cost her twice as much. But that was Glen Allen for you. People had to pay the heating bills some way. At least the brain freeze was bug-free. Mostly. She chose a seat by the window and stared outside. Would she see Curtis's red truck drive by after he left Puck's? Had she really done the right thing? It wasn't fair to him, but did she have any other choice? A bicyclist spun down the sidewalk. Funny how Alaskans could ride or jog or hike all night long if they wanted and only have to worry about mosquitoes and an occasional grumpy moose. She thought about the weekends when she and Raphael would ride the Boston trails for miles. She let her eyes follow the cyclist. There was something familiar about the way he held himself. Something about his posture. He glanced up, 
Their eyes met as he whizzed past her window. Raphael? She whipped her head to follow him. He didn't slow down, didn't look back. It had been her imagination, that's all, a silly mind trick. Even if Raphael were alive, what were the chances? She couldn't see him anymore. Had he circled around the back parking lot? Had he recognized her too? How many times had she fantasized about this very moment, bumping into him again after so many years? Too many years. Their last night together was supposed to be a celebration. Lacey had just finished her spring semester of community college. Raphael told her it was a big surprise. She didn't admit it to anybody, not even Sandy, but she wondered if this was it. The night he'd propose. They'd talked about it enough, hadn't they? She didn't know why he brought her so deep into the North End, but she never questioned him. It was a surprise, he told her. The dock he drove toward looked mostly abandoned. It was dark. Nobody was around. It sounded like Raphael's idea of something romantic. Creative Raphael, never content to do anything the traditional way. Are you sure you're not lost? she asked, and he smiled that sideways grin he only got when he was nervous. That's when she knew. This really was it. The night. She tried to remember every image, every detail. Then one day, when they had a family of her own, she could tell her daughters about the night Daddy asked her to marry him. Only that's not what happened. Raphael's whole body tensed behind the wheel the minute the two men appeared. Lacey had been holding his hand, and his fear rushed through his body into hers. What's going on? she asked. Nothing. He turned off his headlights and reversed the car. Nothing. I just made a wrong turn. That's when she saw the body, tied up, struggling. Afterward, she could have sworn she heard the man yelling, but the victim had been gagged and Raphael's car was too far away, so the detective said that was impossible. Still, she heard the sound of muffled pleas even in her dreams, just like she could hear the splash when his murderers dumped his body into the water below. Go, 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 Raphael whispered, coaxing his car. At the time, Lacey still hadn't processed what she had seen. It couldn't be real. Her eyes were playing tricks on her. Go, go, go! Raphael's last words were interrupted by the squeal of tires. He maneuvered the car around and pushed down on the gas. He made it back to the main road before their pursuers caught up. Lacey didn't remember screaming when the gunshot shattered the back window. She sometimes had a vague memory of the airbag exploding into a burst of dust, but she couldn't be certain. Maybe her brain was just trying to fill in the pieces. She woke up in a dim room, surrounded by three somber policemen shooting questions at her as soon as she opened her eyes, pausing only for a moment when a nurse came in to check her vitals. Where's Raphael? Lacey croaked. The men exchanged awkward looks before one of them declared what she already knew. He's dead. I'm terribly sorry, miss.
Chapter 3 Lacey thanked the brain-freeze waitress who brought her the sundae. The ice cream was ho-hum, definitely not worth the six and a half dollars it cost her. She hated worrying so much about money. She wished Drisclay had given her a different witness protection identity. The daycare couldn't afford to pay her more than minimum wage. The problem was year-round jobs were hard to find in a tourist trap like Glen Allen, where weeks straight of negative 30 temperatures kept all but the hardiest of long-term residents away. It was the perfect place to hide, really, at least according to the witness protection folks. 400 residents, most of whom kept to themselves in typical Alaskan style. She had come in the spring. At least it was spring in the rest of the world. But here there were still two or more feet of snow on the ground and several weeks of gray mud and gush before it thawed. It wasn't just the climate she had to get used to. They gave her a whole new name, a new identity. Joe. So brusque, so unfeminine. Sure, she had sometimes wished her birth mom had come up with something unique, something more memorable than plain old Lacey. But Joe? That took longer to get used to than the continual daylight in the summertime or the depressing bleakness of the drawn-out Glen Allen winters. She stared out the window at the place where the bicyclist had disappeared. She knew in her heart it couldn't really be Raphael. The police, the detectives, the press, everyone said he died in the crash. She was left alone. Alone to mourn him in silence. Alone to hide until the two murderers who had chased them went to trial. Alone to testify against the people who wanted her dead. She thought the witness protection program would be temporary. Detective Drisclay said he'd keep her safe until the trial, and after that she'd be as free as a bird. Then it came out that the murderers boasted a web of mafia connections. Things got increasingly complicated from there. Still, she held on to naive dreams. Maybe the police knew the mafia would come after Raphael and helped him fake his death for his own protection. She couldn't get over the impossibly thin thread of hope that he was alive, suffering a trapped anonymous life in witness protection in some secluded area. She hadn't gathered up the funds or the courage to travel yet, but if she did, maybe she would run into him one day, reunite at an airport, catch his eyes on a crowded subway, she couldn't count how many nights she had fallen asleep picturing his face when his eyes met hers. She rehearsed the hug, the kiss, the tears that would mingle on both their cheeks, crying together over the lost years, vowing to never spend life apart again. But deep in her heart, she knew her hopes were nothing more than foolishness, wishful thinking, impossible dreams she clung to, because the pain of reality was too hard to accept. She stared at her miniature Sunday and realized it was melting in front of her while she daydreamed of the past. A perfect metaphor for her life these past four years, really. She picked up her spoon just as the bell on the brain freeze door jingled and a new customer stepped in. She sucked in her breath, her pulse skyrocketed, 
The man walked in, caught Lacey's eye, and gave a shy smile. Hey, Joe. She swallowed her disappointment. Hi, Curtis. You've been listening to Identity Theft by Alana Terry. Today's episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast is sponsored by the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense Series. Current Audible listeners can get the first three books for just one credit. New subscribers can dive into this best-selling series free with your Audible trial. Visit alanaterry.com unabridged to download the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense audiobooks today. Just be prepared to stay up late.